from the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Happy New Year. Welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us today for the first show of 2016 and joining us for a very timely topic, a topic that's top of mind for most savers and investors, namely, how should I invest my, uh, adjust my asset allocation or reposition my portfolio to minimize losses and maximize gains? This is more of a concern for investors this year than in any year since 2008. See, on the first day of the year, the U.S. equity markets had one of the worst performances on record. And, of course, the equity markets in China were far worse, and that was the trigger. The most recent year on the list of the 10 worst first-day performances was 2008, which was in eighth place. And, in, and therefore, 2016 was worse, taking sixth place. If this is one of those statistics that might get you worried, I guess I can add that the absolutely worst performance was in 1932 and the second worst in 2001. Now, even if neither you nor I were investing in 1932, we certainly know that was an awful year during the Great Depression. We certainly know that 2001 was a lousy year for the record books, and unfortunately, I don't have the ranking for the worst uh, first five days, another first week, I guess you could look at it, but because the weeks vary, uh, first five days of the year. But certainly 2016, with its 5.96% decline, and I use the S&P 500 here, is likely on the worst 10 list. It actually may be, from the data I've seen, second worst since 1930. I'm waiting for somebody to pull all those numbers together. We don't have the time and the resources here to uh, do that much detailed digging. But if you were optimistic about this being a buying opportunity after taking some profits before year end, your confidence may have been shaken. So what will 2016 bring? It's our show title, and that's what we'll be covering. We won't be limiting the discussion to just the stock and bond markets. We'll cover far more. Whether you're in Arizona, where I, our guest and I are, or you're sipping a, and you're therefore sipping a cup of coffee, you're in the U.S. Central Time Zone in the middle of your morning in Europe, ending your work day. You're somewhere in between, or you're listening to the archive of the show. I know you'll be glad you joined us for this hour. Now, if you're listening to the archive in 2017 or later, you'll have the advantage of hindsight to say how listening in January of 2016 would have affected your decision-making. Now, on the Wealth DNA Radio Show, we focus on the fundamentals of investing and providing great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Today is no exception. I'd like to start each show by sharing a quote to kind of set the tone for the show's topic this time, I'll share the better-known version of this quote first, and then the full version. The future belongs to those who prepare for it. Although I hear this often, and a lot of people kind of cite this or paraphrase it, I was surprised by the source, Malcolm X. Now, I have to admit, I'm not a fan of his, nor of his flip-flopping on the fundamental issues he was fighting for, since that reminds me of so many politicians. Here's the full version of that quote. 
Education is the passport to the future, for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it. Again, Malcolm X. Now, after thinking about this quote, I realized education is what we aim to provide in each of our shows, and that's definitely what we're doing today. So the future can belong to you. Today is Monday, January 11th, 2016. I was waiting for my slip to say 2015, but it is 2016. It is 9.04 here in Arizona. That's 9.04 a.m. and 10.04 a.m. in the U.S. uh, Central Time Zone. It's the only day ever like it, so we'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. The time in your time zone may change, but it's the same here in Arizona. If you didn't receive a reminder of the show, you can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook where we post reminders. Just connect with The Ronald, all one word. And uh, we'd also like to thank our sponsor, BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Scottsdale, Phoenix area, for helping us put together this show and share the information with you. I just realized we didn't turn the heating system off here. It is cool this morning, so I will kick that off because otherwise it will be noisy. I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, like the prior ones with today's guests, you can find them in the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, we welcome your questions and comments during the show. We do have a chat window below the radio player, and I highly suggest that. You also can call our um, producer, and he will put you through. Just uh, you uh, hit a 1 after dialing in, and the call number is 917-388-4162, and again, a 1 after that. You can also listen through that number if you weren't aware of that. So if you're traveling, you're in the car, you can turn on your phone, put it on speakerphone, and listen. Just don't take notes. Since our last show, the U.S. equity markets are down nearly 7%. Today, the U.S. markets are off to a slightly positive start. We'll see if it holds. Asia was down well, quite a bit, over 5% on the Shanghai. Europe, which closes shortly, is now positive, and Brazil is down slightly. Now, our guest today to discuss what will 2016 bring is H.L. Quist, an author, historian, investment advisor, uh, representative at Dynamic Wealth Advisors. He's a lifelong athlete and is also known as the Myth Buster. Although he wasn't born in Arizona, he's lived in Arizona more years than 95% of the state's population has. H.L. Quist has over 40 years' experience in financial services. He started at the age of three, obviously, as a registered representative and investment advisor representative. He was also involved in real estate as a developer for 10 years and been teaching a real estate continuing education course for over 20 years. I suspect if he counts up, it may actually be 25 by now. His biggest claim to fame, of course, is that he's been invited back as a guest on the Wealth DNA radio show more times than anyone else. Let's give a warm radio welcome to H.L. Quest. Welcome back, H.L. Happy New Year, and thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Ron. Nice to be with you again. Well, always always good to see you, hear you, and uh, spend some time with you. And today I get almost a full hour to uh, kind of pick your brain. But before we do that, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? Well, I use the term. I use the name HL. Uh, everybody knows me as Buster. I've been Buster all my life, and uh, but I introduce myself more formally as HL Quist and uh, tell people that I'm a fee-only investment advisor, 
Uh, one correction to your introduction: I am no longer yep. associated with Dynamic Wealth Advisors. Oh, I I'm did, independent. didn't realize the switch. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, my I, apologies. that's my fault, Ron. I should I should have let you know. But uh, uh, and you know, I, I specialize in alternative investments. But then, you know, we use core portfolios as uh, fully managed core por- portfolios with hedges, uh, like most of the firms are doing now. And uh, uh, that's you know I've. I think that I take a different approach to the market. Uh, uh, after all, you know, just to lead this program off this morning is we got to remember the future isn't what it used to be, and uh, we're dealing with different a different paradigm, and uh, that we're going to cover a lot of that today. I assume this morning, and I think that that's one thing that we should keep in mind. Okay, and so the, your official title, therefore, is what registered investment advisor, independent registered investor advisor. What do you what do you use as kind of yeah, the official an IAR uh, as investment advisor representative, okay. and uh, okay. it looks like it looks like I'm going to merge my firm with a um, uh, another firm here in the next thirty to sixty days. So uh, you know that's that's on the horizon. Okay, yeah, and I uh, I should have double checked with you because it was the last yeah, I had seen with the dynamic wealth 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 management. So, uh, right, uh, recent changes, I guess, and uh, my my bad, as they say. Uh, now you were our guest for our New Year's show in 2015, so. We should start out by reviewing at least some of the key topics from what we talked about then. The big topic you were introduced and uh, got a lot of people, I'm sure, worried about or concerned about and got them researching is that the IMF would introduce the SDR, the the, uh, Strategic um, Drawing Rights, as the world currency. Your forecast for the U.S. equity markets was dependent on whether that happened or not, and if it didn't happen, at least a baby step in that direction was made, uh, which was totally under the uh, media's radar, radar screen. So tell us a little bit about why it didn't happen, and tell us about the well, change did, that did it, take it place. Well, it did happen, and I, I, I use the term okay. monetary reset. Um, yep, I was And th- there were things that happened that we didn't expect, and the first one mm-hmm. is that even though China, I mean, uh, the IMF announced that China would be admitted, they delayed the actual event until October of 2016. Mm-hmm. So that you know, uh, and and the second thing is the SDR, the Special Depository Receipt, that's always been used with the other four currencies to determine international trade. So okay. that's in use, and and uh, it isn't a currency per se, but it is a it, it denominates what the value of the different currencies are for it for a trade. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that happened, which is just really uh, took everybody by surprise, that would be Jim Rickards and Steve Sugarard and all of them, you know Doug Casey, all of them, is the fact that uh, uh, the IMF was was planning on uh, a, an inclusion of the RMB or the yuan into mm-hmm. the basket would stabilize the Chinese currency, and it did just exactly the opposite. No sooner had they made this announcement than two days later, the uh, the yuan decreases in value against the dollar by 1.5%, and it's continued downward. You know, last week it was wow. was down substantially. So what the bottom line is, Ron, is that there was a monetary reset that's favoring China at our disadvantage. In other words, the dollar has strengthened and the yuan has weakened. And uh, as you can see, the commodity prices priced in dollars are, are, are going down further. And so the Chinese are benefiting at, uh, at our expense as well as other currencies. 
So the monetary reset did occur, but not the way everybody planned it to. <laughs> okay, and, and much more phased in, I guess, is the other thing, is it didn't happen kind of, they announced it very, very quietly. I mean, I don't think anybody heard about this. They don't, they're not aware that the renminbi has been added to the, the uh, SDRs. And um, secondly, well, it it's not really effective fully. Right, exactly. It won't until exactly. October. It won't until okay. October, though. And and that maybe that that's kind of why it's going to delay. Now you you said if it it didn't happen, um, you know, and again it's it's kind of like half happened in, in some ways uh, that the market wouldn't do particularly well. And I guess with the exception of six stocks, the overall market did not do well. Correct. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, it's uh, the Fang, the you know, Facebook, uh, Apple. Uh, was it N is uh, for Netflix and, Netflix and G is and Google. for Google? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 really uh, put the uh, S and P 500 just uh, just modestly positive for the year. And then uh, you, you've got to throw Disney in there too, you know, that, uh, to give it. But but that's an example of how concentrated the market is in such. Uh, there's no breadth to the market, which makes it, of course, very vulnerable to a sell-off. All right. Now, one of the other things you mentioned that if uh, with this financial reset we could see that as a trigger to send precious metals prices through the roof, uh, it didn't happen, and they remain in the pits. Uh, is it uh, all because of this uh, the, the yuan uh, or the renminbi continuing to, uh, to actually to, not continuing but to weaken rather than strengthening as everybody expected, and the dollar strengthening as opposed to weakening as we all expected? Well, right, because the yuan isn't actually in the basket right now, so right. the uh, Gold is priced in dollars. But mm-hmm. here's one thing our audience has to really focus on is in yuan, uh, gold is $1,500 per ounce. If you were a Chinese citizen buying uh-huh. gold today, you would be paying over $1,500 an ounce for it. Wow. Okay. See, that, that, so gives, you, just... that gives you the picture. And the thing that, that, uh, that comes home here is the fact that the Chinese government has accumulated massive massive amounts of bullion. I got a report this week that they've accumulated 14,000 metric tons of gold. And of course they're well, paying it they're paying for it in yuan. Right, or maybe sure. they're paying for it in dollars. I I don't know. Well, know they've got such point. massive using, foreign yeah. reserves. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, they could be using their foreign reserves as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the at least in the dollar form, the precious metals have been frustrating because uh, now you suggested <clears throat> back when you were doing your newsletter, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2011 to exit precious metals, which I did, but uh, unfortunately, I gradually bought them back, buying too much too soon. So, uh, just like oil stocks, they've been a big drag in my portfolio. So, I sure hope there's sure. some light at the end of the tunnel in 2016 for these guys. Well, I, I have to to second that, uh, Ron. I was sitting in Montana vacationing in um, August of 2011, and I was sitting there looking at the screen, looking at the charts, and I said, you know. We're just reaching a a double top, the 1911. I said, you know, this is the time to to start bailing out. And I sold 50% of my portfolios all across the board. Anything gold, I sold 50%. And, of course, that was the beginning of this massive 50% decline from 1911 down to, you know, roughly just a little over 1,000 an ounce, you know. So it was uh, 50% retracement. Uh, and uh, I did. I, I made the same mistake. I did start buying back again, right. and you know some of those issues, those uh, the particularly the exploration stocks, 
they went virtually to uh, a penny a share. You know, I mean, <laughs> I've still got some of them on my on my portfolio. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost too much work or too much commission to 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 sell them. In any case, the transaction fee exceeds its 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 value. But indeed, uh, let's hope that that uh, starts to reverse as some of these uh, events happen that we'll talk yeah, about think, today. I think it's going to. Yeah, I think it's going to. I think that's one of the the major changes that's coming in uh, in the world uh, uh, markets. Okay, but before we dig into the specifics for 2016, share with our listeners how they would contact you, how they find you. I, as I recall, the best way is really to Google HL Quist, just because um, the name of your blog, uh, which is uh, very active and you're you're posting things on a regular basis, uh, is is fairly long. Is is that the best way to do it? Just Google HL Quist. I think it is, and then uh, of course go to the aftermath of greed. That's my blog okay. site. And it's the aftermath of greed dash updates dot blogspot dot com. But the easiest way, of course, is just to go to HL Quist and, and Google it, and it'll lead you there. It'll link you to it. Or Bing you there, Yahoo you there, whatever search engine mm-hmm. people use. I guess I shouldn't favor Google, and that's why I guess well, the thing right. uh, yeah, works so well. About that, just, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I didn't <laughs> even think about it. I, I think it's become kind of the, the standard way to say search. It's like Xerox. Uh, no, don't make me yeah, a copy. Make me a Xerox. Make Xerox, exactly. Oh, sure. Oh, and I, having worked for them, that was a big issue. I mean, it was constantly yeah, people got letters uh, from the company officially saying that the you know it's capitalized and it's not a verb, it's mm-hmm. a noun, and all that kind of good stuff. And so, uh, you know, good attempt, but at least it's some advertising. And um, email-wise, I don't know if you give out your personal email for people to be able to contact you. Oh, sure, sure. That and that's the easiest way. HLQuist. Okay. That's Q U I S T. At cox.net. Okay. All right. I didn't want to give it out if you don't. Uh, you don't oh, like yeah. to give yeah, it out because there's people there's communicate no... with me all over the world. You know, on that on that email address. I know it. You're pretty good at responding, so I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with a broad picture, which I often refer to as kind of the macro tapestry. I think you referred to as changes taking place, kind of societal changes. Tell us about one of the, at least one of the key changes you see taking place in the future. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of the same as you. I, 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 I label it the macrocosm. I think that okay. that I, what I instruct to, you know, in my seminars and my teaching and so forth is that you have to understand the macro view today because we are a global economy, as we've mm-hmm. just all experienced. And uh, if you start with the macro view, then you'll work down to your local market, whether it be real estate or whatever, and your yep. business and what you're what you're doing. But uh, and and. And when I when I uh, visited with Doug Casey and went to the D- Doug Casey seminar in October, you know mm-hmm. he said th- he called them themes. What are the major themes that we need to uh, to understand? And the number one theme was is that the global economy is slowing, and okay. uh, they, they we know what the central banks around the world are going to do to offset. This economic slowdown is that they're going to inject more liquidity into the markets. They're going to do more quantitative easing. And so that's the premise that I think all of us should uh, focus on and operate. In other words, all our investment decisions should be centered around that, recognizing that that is the major theme affecting the markets today. Okay. Give us another another uh, uh, theme. I like that. That term is probably a good good one we can all settle in on. 
Well, I think that the you know from a positive standpoint, I think the the, the theme is uh, is technology. I, I I think there are four sectors. You know, the social, political, economic, and technological change, and of course the uh, the, the highlight of it. Is, and the focus is technology and its changes because the changes are, are so rapidly. Moore's law no longer exists, you know, because technological changes are, are coming so fast. And um, I, I'll, when we have a minute here, I'll, I'll go into some of the um, uh, points that are made by an analyst as far as Silicon Valley today because I think it's so vital to our listeners. Okay. Well, and uh, let me remind our listeners that, that uh, uh, on that comment, you're tuned to the Wealthy Nay Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, like those with H.L. Quist as our guest, if you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive of shows on WealthDNA.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the show, send an email to me, Ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Or you can follow The Ronald, all one word, no spaces, on Twitter or Facebook. During the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to ask questions. There is a chat window uh, below the radio player. You can just type in a message there, a question, or you can call in 917-388-4162. It's also shown at the top of the screen. Our topic is, what will 2016 bring, which we're discussing with H.L. Quist, an author, historian, and an independent uh, investment advisor representative. He's a lifetime athlete and also known as the Mythbuster. Uh, one of the themes I wanted to talk about a little bit is jobs. If I If I take a look at the Middle East, uh, there's there's a, a great biblical quote, or a quote based on the Bible is probably a better way, which is the devil finds work for idle hands. We've got about 20 plus percent unemployment there in the Middle East. We see them being hired by Al-Qaeda, ISIS, other terrorist organizations. What do you see in the jobs market uh, worldwide? Uh, because that seems to be on a lot of people's minds as so many things are going away, so many things are changing. Is there any optimism on the jobs market? Well, I think so. I, I kind of confine my remarks to the U.S. because I, you know, my my knowledge doesn't extend to to, to Europe, of course. Is that um, uh, I noticed that I did a I did, I did a program and and I I got a Wall Street Journal published a book called uh, uh, The Future of Everything, and it was just okay. so timely. If 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 our listening audience can get hold of that. Uh, you know, go to Wall Street Journal and so forth. Yep. It's really, it takes all of these changes that they believe are coming. And one of the things they highlight is the tremendous growth in uh, jobs. They point to Capital One, the bank, uh, said there will be a need for 12 million skilled workers over the next 10 years. And uh, in the future of everything, they said that there will be 38 to 40 million uh, job shortage uh, for college and graduate, postgraduate uh, degree uh, students over the next 10 years. That's a massive amount of people. And, and what we've learned, of course, is that uh, some of these young people over the last five years and so forth, they've been getting out of college, and they're not, they don't have the skills to fill these jobs. It's been an amazing phenomenon. Uh, they got the ideology, the ideology right, the uh, the progressive ideology, but they didn't get the skills, and that's why there's uh, high unemployment amongst uh, millennials. Wow, 
All right, so it's a skills matching issue, and uh, people not going after the the. I guess it's really you know I've always said it's really the trades that we seem to be lacking most. It's people with actual skills that can do things, sure. uh, whether they're yeah, technical their or they're, yeah. they're physical. Exactly, uh, rather than just uh, generally uh, sitting and uh, philosophizing and uh, uh, weaving stories or whatever. Obviously, we could use some good teachers too, but that's a whole nother another story. Another issue. Uh, yeah. Education says, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, other macro changes you see taking place? Well, I think in this um, in this whole jobs picture, I thought that the Wall Street Journal had really mm-hmm. opened uh, my eyes, and I hope that it helps our audience. Is that uh, the the main theme inside this the job opportunities is work anywhere, work anytime. And what that means okay. is that, my, for instance, one of my grandsons who graduated number one in his class at, uh, in economics at uh, ASU uh, uh-huh. has signed on with one of the majors, uh, tech companies. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not, he doesn't have to go to California to work. <clears throat> he's working at home, and he's got a certain thing that he has to do, and he can work anytime he wants to, and, of course, he's working where he wants to. And, you know, one implication I told my real estate class is, just think of the impact this is going to have on the commercial real estate market is that companies are bringing all these people in but they don't want to house them in their home office or or in offices mm-hmm. they want them to work mm-hmm. from their homes yeah and i would agree with you i mean our our company does the same thing in terms of hiring people and they work uh, virtually or telecommuting sure. if they will uh working you know again really literally anywhere anytime uh, and I think that is a trend, and I would agree, and that's one of the reasons I don't uh, particularly, not a big fan of, of of the commercial market, and especially of offices. I don't think we're going to need nearly as many offices. It may turn out people need more home offices, um, and, and a lot of people don't necessarily set themselves up properly for that, but I think somebody like your, uh, was it your nephew you said was the no, mom grandson. of the... Grandson, what grandson. Okay, I got four, I just, okay. four grandsons. <laughs> this oh, boy, is the oldest good one. grief! Oh, they're, 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 you know, you're, 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 uh, you started early or something, because uh, well, grandson doing that. Well, anyway, that his, your grandson obviously is smart enough to know that he's got to set his environment up so that he can focus and you know get a, get away from the uh, TV set and the and the kitchen, those kinds of things. A lot of people don't have right. that discipline, which is another piece of I think that skill that that you talked a little bit. About. About how about on the on the healthcare front because that's one that I do see a lot of jobs and again a skills mismatch where uh, you know there seems to be a lot of need for uh, you know and I think it's the American Medical Association blew this one 20 years ago 30 years ago now where they said oh we have plenty of doctors and we don't want to limit the number of people and you know number of nurses they wanted to keep the wages up and they didn't allow enough people to get the training uh, so now we've got a, we've got a bit of a shortage uh, what you know what do you see in the in the healthcare arena is that going to continue Continue to be a place where uh, employment will be and where uh, you know growth will be. Well, there's a tremendous need for jobs. I, I happen to have a, uh, my sister's husband was a medical doctor for uh, uh, a long career and so forth. And all my all my nieces are his daughters are in healthcare, uh, physicians assistant and registered mm-hmm. nurses and what have you. Uh, but you know the the, the opp- opportunities are there, Ron. But, you know, they're being squeezed. Uh, Every doctor's office, every hospital, you know, their reimbursement is getting less. And so Mm -hmm. they need the people, but they're not willing to pay them 
what uh, probably they're worth. You see that. So the uh, I think there's going to be probably if there's a Republican administration, I think that uh, there's going to be a repeal of Obamacare and it's going to be uh, all all uh, redone, you know, so to speak. So I think there's tremendous opportunities there, and I think that uh, there's there's major changes coming in uh, in healthcare, and the one that I focused on is the immortality gene uh, that has been developed and discovered, and uh, uh, they say right now that people will live 20 to 30 years longer. Well, okay, so I've got to raise my uh, my target even further. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been planning planning on 112. We, we can't I retire. Think. We're gonna live. We're gonna live so much longer. It's, it's it's really an exciting exciting event. You know, immortality. Just Google immortality gene, and you get all that information. Okay. This is not. This is not uh, a far out uh, dream of somebody. These there's four doctors that have received Nobel prizes in medicine for uh, this research. So this is this is for real. We're not. We're not uh, just. Uh, a pie in the sky. Yeah, exactly. Okay, now that sounds like, you know, longevity means obviously that uh, we have more health problems when in the second half of our life than we do in our first. That would seem like, you know, it would be good for the healthcare industry. But we're already spending 17% of uh, GDP on healthcare. It's actually, we crossed that number. Can that keep growing? And is this squeezing? I mean, how does this, is, is there an investment opportunity, is I guess where I'm getting at, in the healthcare sector, given that we see growth and we see potential? And on the other hand, we see all of these cost restrictions and therefore profit margin restrictions on the companies involved. Well, one thing that uh, they say in this report is that, uh, yes, people are going to be living longer, and they would think that that would be a real negative for Medicare and Medicaid and, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. long-term care and so forth. But the in this gene discovery, which they call uh, RNAI, it's RN in capital letters, and then it's small a, small i, that, that's the uh, therapy. Okay. And uh, is it people, by affecting these um, uh, the chromosomes and the whatever, is that people are going to live longer but healthier? In uh-huh. other words, what they're what what the thing that's going to there's going to be breakthroughs in Alzheimer's and other dementia and other uh, uh, diseases that people are going to be much healthier and therefore drain uh, they're not going to drain the system like uh, uh, we're doing today. Hmm. Okay, so, so it's, the, the, it's, it's a monumental shift in in perception and and conceived and and forecast that uh, we're dealing with today because it's a it's a major change. Okay, so so connecting the dots of six years ago, healthcare stocks were here and now they're here. That trend will continue. Is something we need to relook at because uh, the the um, that trend is going to be broken one way or another. Uh, we either hit some caps or this new technology kicks in. But okay, on the technology front, tell us a few mm-hmm. of the trends you see on the technology front. Well, one of the things that's uh, obvious, you know, I've talked about the cashless society for quite some time. And uh, I noticed a report from Wells Fargo that this year they're going to introduce a uh, biometric banking. Uh, and by that they mean okay. is that we'll use uh, our picture, our face, our, our eyes as our password. Uh, and it's just it reads our, our facial expressions and so forth. So we'll be looking into the camera, and that's our password to access our account. Well. Oh. Okay, that does change the picture a little bit. Also, sounds like it changes the economics a little bit. Um, give us give us one more in that in that arena of technology before we talk about them in a little bit more detail. 
Well, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal's uh, book says there's 33 billion billion devices that will be connected to the Internet by uh, in just uh, four more years. Uh, And uh, one company that I've spoken to you about is uh, Voipel. The symbol is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. V as in Victor, P as in Paul, L as in uh, Larry, and M, VPLM, Mm -hmm. and a huge technology you know, this, with 33 billion devices connecting, uh, what's wrong? What's happened is uh, we've got the broadband is is uh, the pipe. What they say, the pipes are full. You know, the tech tech people yep. say the pipes are full. In other words, they're trying to find another uh, technology, a new platform, uh, so that they can handle the traffic. And uh, the the good fortune of VPLM is that they've got a portfolio of patents uh, mm-hmm. that now. Uh, uh, control voice over internet protocol, which you know the majors are all going to uh, Apple and and Facebook and others are going to using parts of this as their new platform. So uh, this is a this is an opportunity. People should look it up and and get the information. But uh, uh, this is a pretty exciting deal. Okay, let me put a couple of these together. You just talked about one is uh, the, the the changes in banking. Let's say the cashless society, so therefore we're not hanging around branches. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed what's what's going on in the banks and and, and Chase. And I'm going to pick on Chase here, but since they seem to be on the bleeding edge as opposed to the leading edge on this one, they're downsizing their branch staffing dramatically. They're forcing us to pay electronic, in essence, they're introducing this. Uh, you can send to somebody's email address or their phone number, uh, and on, you know, kind of online transfers. And, of course, the number of devices you talked about are going to be a factor there. So they're closing the drive-up windows. They're they're having mm. one to two people in a given branch versus the old five, six, seven that were there, which means, and I went to, to one of the Chase branches to do a deposit to somebody else's account or of our investor accounts. And with that, uh, there was a line of 30 people waiting for one teller. Uh, the ATMs had uh, don't take it unless you have the, the card at this point. And that was, I think, a mistake of theirs. So long lines. Uh, kicking out people out, you know, basically out of their employment ranks. This, I'm guessing they're trying to get ahead of the $15 minimum wage curve that seems to be, you know, uh, being pushed more and more in the in the uh, political circles. Uh, but it, wouldn't that seem to add to the number of people out there looking for work, which would mean that there still will not be enough jobs? Uh, so, you know, you, you put these together, the technology sounds great, but on the other hand, wouldn't this indeed uh, create a lot of uh, vacancy and a lot of unemployment again. Well, I've always said over the last uh, 10 years is that technology has replaced a lot of jobs, and it mm-hmm. will continue to do that. That's why uh, uh, the, uh, the knowledge and the skills is so critical. But I think the banking situation, uh, Ron, is much more serious than you just, uh, that, that you just outlined. Okay. I think that uh, my friend Jim Sinclair, who's a wise old guy, and, and uh, he sure. says in his newsletter that... Uh, he believes that three major banks are going to close, that are on the verge of closing, and that's Deutsche Bank of Germany, which is Europe's largest bank, uh, sure. Barclays of London, and Citigroup wow. of uh, the U.S. I mean, uh, the profit squeeze, but here's, here's the big problem, and okay. most people have, don't have it in, in view, is that these, their five largest banks in the U.S. have $400 trillion in derivatives still. You know, we thought derivatives oh went away after the collapse in 2008. But, no. you know, most of this is interest rate, rate swaps and so forth 
that they're very vulnerable. They've got they're highly leveraged, just like uh, 2008. So Jim Jim Sinclair is uh, saying that uh, this is the thing that uh, scares the uh, uh, the Fed and uh, the politicians the most. And of course, they're 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 squeezing the banks, uh, making sure that they have you know the stress tests and they, they have high reserves and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's one thing that's contributed to the layoffs. And the fact that you've got long waiting lines in the banks is that their profits are squeezed and uh, they're preparing for another uh, bank uh, uh, crisis. That's what they're preparing for. Okay, I, I tend to I tend to agree with you. I, I was kind of reading those tea leaves uh, somewhat the same way, and uh, it's counter to what everybody you know the financial advisors typically say, sure. which is, oh, you know, interest rates are rising, margins at the banks will rise, but they're not going to pay you a lot more for deposits, but they'll they earn more on loans. So therefore, as interest rates rise, the banks will do great. It's a great sector to in, to invest in. I haven't put a single dollar into banks. Um, but let's go back to the, the technology trends. What are some of the other trends you see that uh, our listeners should know about? Well, I think one thing the Wall Street Journal pointed out, which uh, I didn't know anything about, and of course that's one thing that should appeal to our audience, they probably don't heard, haven't heard about it either, is the Hyperloop Alpha. Uh, the uh, well-known Elon Musk has, mm-hmm. has created a transportation system. He calls it the fifth uh, uh, transportation. In other words, we've got sea car, Fitbone, uh, right. railroad, so forth. This is, he's invented a vacuum tube, basically a vacuum tube that, that moves people. And it will ru- it'll run up speeds up to 760 miles per hour, which is what the speed, almost the speed of sound, I guess. And yeah. uh, that is, uh, for instance, the, people can be transported from Los Angeles to San Francisco in one half hour. And this system would cost only 10% of what Jerry Brown in California is planning for this high-speed rail. Uh, from L.A. to San Francisco. So the, we're, we're seeing, as we talked about earlier, that a paradigm shift is occurring in, uh, you know, just uh, everyday things that we assume will remain the same as transportation. But uh, can you imagine a vacuum tube and you're gone, you know? <laughs> wow. Okay, with that, let's let's talk just the investment side of that for for a second. Not necessarily of just the hyperloops, but there's all this technology, whether it's the uh, biometric or it's the number of devices and the Internet of Things, those kinds of things. Does that mean that information technology stocks will continue to do well? I mean, they've obviously been a big big factor in the whole, um, you know, the, the the ones outperforming in the last few years. Uh, would they a good good place to continue to invest? And are there some specific companies you like, or mutual funds, or ETFs that that you tend to uh, suggest for your clients that uh, take advantage of the technology trends? Well, I, I, I think so. I mean, obviously what we've discussed, discussed but uh, I will cite this, and I, I would encourage our listeners to make note of this. There's okay. a gentleman by the name of Mark St. Cyr, S-T, and the last name is Cyr, C-Y-R. He writes a newsletter called Pragmatic Insights. He believes okay. that uh, Silicon Valley is in DEFCOM 1, and that's a military term meaning uh, urgency and urgent crisis ahead. He believes that uh, uh, there's 150 companies that have gone public in Silicon Valley in 2015, and uh, most of them, if not all of them, their uh, current stock prices are less than the IPO price. Mm-hmm. That is That is remarkable. And he believes that 
that that that boom fed by quantitative easing and all the cheap money and so forth is uh, is coming to a major correction so uh I, that that you know our discussion today is that, yeah that technology is the future but uh, we've got to be uh, cautious in uh, jumping in because there could be a major correction coming in the uh, in the techies. Okay, deja vu all over again, 2001 that I mentioned earlier. Um, okay, let's switch to the global economy. So many okay. topics to cover. Uh, despite the U.S. Fed slowing their, their, their money printing, and you talked about this a little bit, and, and, and obviously the asset buyback plans when I say printing, we see other companies, uh, countries, excuse me, stepping up their, their stimulus. Uh, you know, does this continue? And it's, you sounded like you were saying you, we will continue to see this. And where does that all lead us? Well, look at China. I mean, they're pumping, you know, the, the government, is is so involved in the market they're even buying stocks they're they're preventing short sales they're doing all of these things to manipulate the market and of course we knew the european central bank is infused and is going to infuse another trillion euros into the market and look at argentina brazil is is is, is basically in in a, in a collapse situation they're going to impeach their president probably i mean uh, you, the globe is is uh, suffering the effects of uh, too much debt and uh, we know by reading von Mises and others that uh, uh, economies that are built on debt and consumer spending ultimately uh, uh, reach that point where they can't support it anymore. And that, I think that's where we're heading. But on the other hand, we've seen you know the the stimulus here in the U.S. has created a lot of asset inflation, and you've talked about that in the, in sure. the past. Sure, you know it's been the theme uh, of my books. Yeah. Well, and so now we're seeing the EU, China, Japan doing this kind of stimulus and and. Uh, uh, quantitative easing or asset buybacks, any number of those terms we want to use, right. does that mean those would be better places to invest in the next few years because they're going to have asset inflation? Well, they've certainly had asset inflation, Ron. I just think that, okay. you know, it's sometimes in, in when we look at the markets, and I think we're at that right point right now, is that you just step aside and you wait. Uh, you know, I've got clients that feel that they should be 100% invested all the time. And there are times when you've got all of these variables and this all this volatility where you just sit back and sit, say, you know, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And I think that we're at that moment right now, frankly. Okay. All right, to kind of let uh, let things calm down, let's let's let a few things sort out and we're not so we're not at the get your margin account out and go to 140% because it's uh, things are good. Yeah. All right, hear you. But before we continue, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you listened to the uh, earlier portion on the archive, if you missed part of it, uh, you can also catch prior shows. You'll find them on that same archive, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is H.L. Quist, over four year, 40 years' experience in financial services as a registered representative and an independent advisor representative. He currently is an independent investment advisor representative and if you just tuned in go back to the same link that will take you to our archive our producers make it pretty easy okay so given these kind of uh, differences between who's printing money and who's starting to think about raising rates or talking about it and making baby steps like the u.s uh, what does this imply for the various currencies could we see the u.s dollar staying strong for another year or so 
Well, that's the that's the precarious situation we're in, and that's one reason for me saying uh, what I did, is mm-hmm. that uh, everything that's happening currency-wise is a negative for the dollar. I mean, the dollar, if you look at the dollar chart, and you can go to stock charts and put in the dollar sign plus USD, and you look at the chart, you know, we're up at 100 on the index, and uh, if that breaks through and goes higher, an and increase in interest rates, of course, strengthens the dollar. So the Chinese are lowering the value of their currency. Look at the Canadian dollar, 70 cents to the dollar. Uh, and and uh, the dollar gets stronger. That means uh, our exports become less, our manufacturing slows. It's not a pretty picture. And, uh, the, you know, we talked a year ago about monetary reset. That was based upon a weakening dollar. And now it's done mm-hmm. just exactly the opposite. So it's, it's, it's caught a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, and the stronger dollar, as, as you said, if if the U.S. Uh, raises interest rate, makes it more attractive, others uh, decrease their currency, so the dollar would continue to get stronger. Now, of course, that's kind of a self-correcting cycle because eventually exports become so expensive and imports become so cheap that the U.S. economy slows, and that kind of reverses the, the thing. So what you're saying is we're kind of at that point where uh, let's pause, let's take a look at what's happening, don't, uh, don't make any major investments at this point, maybe uh, take some profits from time to time. And let well, things sort I out a little that, bit. I think that, you know, I've got a, a client meeting tomorrow with a, a company that I've got their, their employees in a profit sharing plan and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and I'm recommending, you know, if if uh, uh, what we should be looking at is income-producing income assets. Uh, okay. You know, everything from utilities to dividend stocks to whatever. You know, we've done that before. And some of these prices have broken down to the point where now you can get, you know, 5 6 7 8% on some of these uh, major, you know, utilities and, and dividend stocks and so forth. And uh, so it's, they become attractive. And that's a defensive position. But, right. you know, if you'd had that last year, you'd have been a positive portfolio. You know, the 10 largest mutual funds in this country, you know, the, the, the big guys and all the vanguards and so forth, there were right. only two that were positive last year. Oh, I so, didn't realize yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. Fidel, Fidelity's Contra Fund. Okay. And uh, American funds uh, growth fund, those were and, and you know those were up you know just four or five percent. But those you know that's what we're talking about here. And of course that situation has worsened over where we were on December thirty first. You know. Yeah, well, very, very much so, especially with uh, with these declines, and I think it will scare some people, which is, uh, is as we always talk about, it's kind of a good thing at times. How about emerging markets? You know, they, we we talked about them last year. You said get the heck out of them, and obviously they declined far faster than uh, other markets in 2015. Are they a place you see opportunity? Because sometimes when where you know where things drop, they're a place to to get into, or is it way too early to even think about emerging markets? Where in the heck would you go? I mean, you know, the China situation, uh, you know, and and Australia and Indonesia and, and all of those kind of South Korea, they're all impacted by the fact that Chinese aren't buying goods. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, where in the heck do you go as far as emerging markets are concerned? It, it, they're, again, waiting for this uh, correction to take place and, and wait for the sign that uh, China is uh, not going to implode, you know. I mean, because right now it could implode. That's uh, that's the issue that we're looking at. 
Okay, and the other factor that seems to be a pretty good indicator here short-term has been oil prices. Every time they tick up a little bit, the market does better. Uh, as soon as they slide, as they have been, then the market does uh, does pretty lousy. So it looks like stability in the in the oil uh, markets would be another factor. Because, that, again, there's another job factor. We could have a lot of people, actually fairly skilled people, on the job market all of a sudden if uh, a lot of these companies start cutting back. A quarter of a million of people in the uh, oil sector have been mm-hmm. laid off. Already? Wow. A quarter of a million already. Oh. And the amount of debt, you know, the uh, uh, ETFs and the junk bonds and so forth sure. that are denominated uh, and out to uh, these uh, uh, fracking companies and so forth, the small caps, uh, their defaults are coming in every day. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a very high percentage of defaults. Wow. Okay, I mean, and, and obviously, yep, that's that's another factor on the banks, that I don't like banks. Oh, did we just lose UHL? Let's see if we can get him back on. It looks like we may have lost his line. Uh, let me check if uh, Pete can try to get that to recover. Because one, obviously, I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, uh, Let's see if we can get him back on. HL, a quick note here. Uh, we do want to get him back on because we want to talk a little bit about the U.S. equity markets. Uh, I mean, I think he's giving us some pretty sound advice here to say that it's, you know, the pause that uh, refreshes could take a little bit of a break. But the other curiosity I have, of course, is on bonds. So as soon as we get them back on here, uh, bonds have been in a 40-year bull market. Uh, is it over? And there are some factors that uh, we'll have some guests on in the future talking about whether liquidity in that declining market could be a problem due to the Dodd-Frank Act. It's something totally new to me, so I'm not going to comment more than that. I don't think he would have the details yet either. Uh, it's too too complex of a uh, legal act. But let's uh, let's try to get him back on. I guess that's our... Uh, first uh, first priority, and I assume it's just the line dropped uh, this connection problem, and he'll just need to dial back in, and hopefully Pete is on the ball there to uh, to get his call immediately and get him back on the line. So let me just also send one message to uh, Pete to make sure that he's aware that um, it's dropped off. I can't uh, type and talk at the same time, so my apologies. Hopefully he will notice that uh, we were missing our guest. Uh, I'm going to send him a message a different route to make sure that he sees it. Uh, always always fun when we have a little bit of technology problem. This one is uh, relatively minor. We didn't lose the whole show as we have in the past, but uh, we'll definitely want to extend a little bit so we can talk about some of these things. Uh, as I said, bonds is one of those. The other is uh, about commodities, and we talked a little bit about precious metals, but uh, commodities in general with the dollar strengthening, that's not a good sign. And is there any uh, any hope for that? And also on the elections, I'd love to get his views on the elections, as well as I've got my questions here to myself about the IRAs. He has the, he's the one that triggered the risks to the IRAs and whether the government would step in. We are trying to get the uh, kind of the expert on that on a future show. We haven't gotten a confirmation from her yet. And 
then kind of a, a bottom line, you know, what uh, what the future looks like. We're t- we've talked about a number of big positives there on the technology front. I always worry about, you know, can we can we uh, take advantage of those, uh, you know, someday. And, and this is interesting. Even the uh, phone lines are not getting through to, uh, to Pete. I'm hoping we don't have a problem at his end as well. Um, I'm uh, not able to get a message to him. I don't know why that's happening. But let me just uh, let me try another avenue here to uh, to try to get Pete to see if we can get HL back on. Hopefully, the HL's phone didn't just die or, or uh, not able to, to reconnect back in. So let me see if I can catch him. You may hear a phone ringing in the background because I haven't been able to reach him otherwise. The uh, Lots of lots of excitement, and right at the beginning of the year, that's not a that's not a good sign. Huh? But otherwise, I, I you know I feel pretty good about the year. Yes, we are having a uh, you know pretty negative. Oh, that doesn't help. I just went to voicemail on that phone. That is not good news. So somehow he is probably trying to get uh, HL back on. One of the things I should add, since I touched on it at the very beginning, is all of these gloomy indicators about the first day and the first week. Uh, whether that is, you know, a portend of a bad year. Well, it turns out that if you just look at that first day performance, it sounds awful from the numbers I gave you, but let me tell you the flip side. The flip side is there are just as many times that the first day is negative and the year ends positive, in some cases very positive. I don't have the years in front of me to tell you exactly which one is to research, but uh, that first day indicator is exactly useless in predicting the year. So please don't panic on that first day. First week is a little bit different. We are having a pretty pretty bad beginning to the year and very often the uh, how how the beginning of January goes is so goes January and so goes the year so there is some indication on that we'll try to give you an update on the next show uh, and any new information we see on that is kind of a you know a general statistical indicator but the first day is statistically useless uh, there are just as many day, you know years that go up with a major down first day so please ignore that one don't panic on the other hand, with things we're talking about here today, there are a lot of positives, and then a lot of these negatives. This uh, this printing, the uh, pressure on the dollar to keep going up, and uh, the uh, uh, potential for more people out of work, and therefore skills match. And it's one of the things we didn't talk about. Is uh, let's say that a lot of those people working in banks today, as as tellers and office people. Uh, do lose their jobs. They're not the ones that necessarily can take over the jobs that are most in need. You know, if you want to find a plumber, there's a shortage of people that uh, are doing plumbing-type jobs. How about auto mechanics? Uh, Any number of things, whereas uh, HL said people that work with their hands. Now, the guys that are working at the oil fields, different story. They'll probably have a pretty good time finding another job. The problem is because of the huge pay... um, premium they've been getting by working in those dirty jobs, they're not necessarily be excited about getting a 50% pay cut to work in a uh, uh, you know a more typical environment where they're uh, they're working at people's homes or they're working in in uh, uh, commercial buildings uh, versus in the oil field. And sometimes you know people are, are kind of stuck on the emotional aspect of I was earning $150,000 doing what I was doing before, and yeah, the hours were lousy and the conditions were bad, uh, and uh, obviously no stability, but I'm not going to get down to you know fifty dollars or $75,000 doing something similar. So sometimes that will cause another gap, but you know there there is there is a skills mismatch, and that seems to be getting worse from everything we talked about 
my my dilemma is I'm not sure we're getting uh, we've got uh, I'm not sure getting uh, HL back on here. So let me share a couple of comments that I would have shared at the end, and hopefully we are able to get them back on. We'll pick up where we left off. Uh, I'm hoping this format where we're covering kind of a broad range of topics, the the uh, technologies out there, what's happening in the in the global marketplace, these themes is a lot more useful than just having another person's estimates of how the equity markets or interest rates or particular currencies will stand year end. Uh, instead, we're covering kind of those fundamentals. Now, we do want to talk a little bit about the implications for stocks, which we've talked about a little bit about bonds, commodities, so hopefully we'll still have some time to do that. Uh, I certainly got a flavor of some very positive developments, which should be financial. Hello, HL, you're back? Yep, I'm back. All right, yeah, a little bit of technology. I I, I kept a few things going here, but let me jump to some of the essential ones. We've talked a a fair amount on the equities, but how about bonds? Has the 40-year bull market ended? Well, I think that it all boils down to uh, what our previous discussion. Uh, all the economies around the world are trying to reinflate or try to create inflation, so yep. that assets don't asset values don't uh, depreciate. And uh, so, what we need to watch is uh, if inflation occurs, well, then uh, the bond market is under stress. If mm-hmm. if in fact it doesn't work, which is what's happening right now. Uh, bonds are going to be very attractive, and uh, they're going to continue that uh, uh, the uh, the bull market in bonds since uh, uh, when has that been? Uh, since 1982. <laughs> oh yeah, even I think it even started in the 70s already uh, with the with the whole <clears throat> excuse me as the as the uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the Carter era. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long time. It's been a you know a long run. So okay, right. so it's not a clear picture yet. It really does depend on no, how this inflation again, kicks you just, in. You just sit and observe and. You know, with the dollar strengthening, I mean, you know, it just it it follows up the uh, the dynamics in uh, in the bond market too. Okay, and commodities we touched on a little bit, but you know, they have been very hard hit. And uh, is it is it strictly the dollar that's uh, forcing it here? Are there some global things that could affect uh, commodities in terms of demand, other than you know purely economic uh, inflation types of figures? Demand. The Chinese right. aren't buying copper. They're not buying steel. They're not buying all these goods. Uh, that has impacted the market uh, tremendously. Now, there's one positive thing in this whole thing. One thing okay. the Chinese do need, they mm-hmm. need uranium. They oh, have just announced that they're building 40 new nuclear reactors. Wow. So they're switching over, much like the, the French did, to, to more of a nuclear base. Well, they have to. I mean, the, the pollution situation pollution, there and sure. their needs for energy is just incredible. But uh, uh, the supply-demand imbalance in uranium is 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 quite dramatic. And uh, so uranium today is uh, – I looked at Cameco, the stock. Uh, that stock was $7 back in uh, 2000, 2001. It went to $145 a share. We rode that baby up, and and uh, it split mm-hmm. two for one, and went back to 140 again. <laughs> and uh, the stock is 11 dollars today. So Cameco, which is CCJ, sure. uh, mm-hmm. that's uh, uh, you know um, uh, uranium is about uh, 36, 37 dollars a pound. Uh, it's going to go a lot higher. So that's that's one commodity I can see uh, that's that's a good bet. But the rest of it, as long as the dollar remains strong. 
uh, commodity market is uh, priced in dollars, unfortunately. And I guess if you don't believe in the Iran deal as, as being so ironclad, then uh, Iran's going to be buying a lot of uranium, too, as well uh, other other rogue economies. So I guess we should uh, add that as another potential yeah, positive. Yeah, sure. They need, it. They uh, need the mark. They need the raw material also. Now let me let me talk about one counter argument to this whole concern about you know the the world economy slowing and you know there's not mm-hmm. much demand out there. Uh, the the banks in the U.S. are sitting on two and a half trillion dollars in excess reserves, which is up from zero essentially historically. It's always been zero. It wasn't until the TARP program that they started tucking stuff away. And with the QE, most of the QE is sitting in bank excess reserves. They're being paid to to hold that. Uh, and paid more than they're borrowing money for. If indeed those banks, uh, if the interest rates were attractive enough and they started lending that money out, that could be as much as $20 trillion at a typical reserve ratio uh, of, of you know additional stimulus uh, without, without doing any printing money, basically just by lending money out that's sitting in these excess reserves as opposed to having it sit there doing nothing um, for the banks that's earning a quarter percent, which is, you know, like I said, that's making them a little bit of money, but it sure doesn't make as much as, as lending out at seven or eight uh, percent. What uh, you know? What do you think on that front? Uh, why aren't the banks pushing it loose? Is it the fact that interest rates are so low and they just don't think there's a demand out there, even though there are plenty of no, folks uh, and companies that? Than that. Okay. The Fed won't allow them. <laughs> okay, so the, so the Fed, the Fed, so, the the Fed is so concerned about, and the politicians are so concerned about a bank crisis that they uh, they uh, want them to keep that money at the Fed. Oh boy, okay, so it it, it really gets back down to the the Fed and the politicians who are totally independent happen to be in sync on this one. So this is a pure coincidence, is what you're saying? You know, the Fed doesn't run the show anymore. <laughs> Lissick yeah, runs it. Daniel Tarullo is 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 now Janet Yellen is just a uh, a figurehead. Uh, they've got a they've created the new large institution committee that uh, runs the Fed, and they're, oh. they're taking their orders from Lissick. And it's just it's a phenomenal thing. The public doesn't know about it, but uh, I just informed my uh, representatives and so forth that what's happened, and uh, they they are totally unaware of the fact that. Daniel Torillo and his committee is uh, is control of the Fed. So what he becomes one of these czars that uh, is yeah, in charge of, of things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Another one of those appointees that uh, gets a lot of control and committee. Uh, not a lot of. Yeah. That's okay. what bureaucrats are good at creating committees. All right, let's talk to the political front, because obviously our listeners will want to hear a little bit about that. You were absolutely correct on Obama's election in 2008, much to my disappointment, uh, and the effect it would have, the positive effect on the stock market over the next three-plus years. And I always teased you that you said it would be back to its uh, its uh, peak at three years, and it actually took four, so that was a terrible prediction. Uh, but now, you gaze into that crystal, crystal ball. What do you see happen political in, politically in um, the U.S. in 2016? Well, I may shock your your listening audience, but I, you know, I follow this very, very closely. Is that, you know, it's taken the Marxists a hundred years to try to get inroads into the U.S. government and get control, and they've implemented all these programs and all this philosophy and so forth, and they don't want to see it coming to an end. And what's going to happen here, in my opinion, is that uh, Hillary is going to face all kinds of uh, attacks. Here, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA is livid 
that uh, Loretta Lynch has not brought charges against her on uh, on uh, her email account or per- her personal server is that uh, this is a key issue, and of course, as the former Attorney General, uh, what's his name, uh, McCasey, he says uh, she is in violation of, of the law, and she should not uh, the uh, presidency. Wow. You still there? Okay. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah I am. We I just, think, we I think that, that the, the, the Marxists don't want to lose the ground that they've gained, and there could be a dramatic reaction uh, coming towards uh, by summer, you know, uh, and uh, her polls will be down. She may be ineligible, and this creates a real political crisis in this country. Who, who steps in? Who, does the Republicans therefore get kind of the, the upper edge because of that uh, the failing, if you will, on, on the Hillary camp uh, and, and not really having a backup candidate? I don't see the other candidates as being you know serious candidates. On no, the it'll Democrat be too side. late to do anything. I, I think... I think the chances of postponing the election are 50-50 as we speak today. Ah, uh, uh, so postponing would be one of the ways to do it. Okay. That's correct. So uh, in the midst of some sort of crisis, we can't uh, change uh, uh, change horses, and we've you got, got to keep riding the way we're going. That's correct. Oh, boy. All right. Now, you're the one that raised, and and we want to get Teresa Gillardrichie back on to talk about this future of retirement plans. Uh, Do you still see a risk that the IRAs are are, uh, involuntarily converted into that GRA as they were in other countries? Uh, And and, and I guess I'll ask you two questions, if you would, share with our audience what this GRA is and uh, whether, indeed, you still see that risk uh, in front of us. Oh, indeed, I see it as a risk. I read uh, Teresa's piece. I tried to read it. It was so long, and it's typical uh, government uh, uh, bureaucratic mishmash. I mean, well, if you have her on the show, that'll be absolutely amazing. But yeah, I think that I think that the government is going to be so desperate for money uh, coming uh, by mid-year that uh, they may uh, announce the GRA, the Guaranteed Retirement Account, and the rollover of our IRAs and our 401Ks in the Guaranteed Retirement Account. That uh, That is a big concern of mine. Okay, so GRA is Guaranteed Retirement Account. It is something run by the government. So basically what we'd be getting is something like an annuity. I promise that you're going to earn at That's least $1,000 a month. Uh, just turn over your $3 million IRA, and uh, you've got this guaranteed income, something of that sort. They did it in Poland, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. Hungary. They uh, did it. They did it in Argentina. <laughs> yep. In other words, they, you transfer. Boy, we're having trouble with your line there, HL. Hopefully, you're still not you're, you're not drifting off. We've got a couple hiccups there. I keep hearing. Uh, are you still with us? Hopefully, we didn't use, lose him. Uh, let me let me share with you. Uh, we're waiting to get HL back on. The easiest way to find him is to just uh, search for. H.L. Quist or H.L. Buster Quist. Uh, also, if you search Mythbuster with that, that sometimes helps. But his uh, direct email address, which he shared with us, is H.L. Quist, Q-U-I-S-T, at Cox.net. Uh, you'll find his Aftermath of Greed blog spot. It's a little bit longer name, but you'll find that when you when you uh, uh, search for him, Google him, Bing him, or Yahoo him, whichever ask, uh, whatever search engine you use. And with that, you'll be able to follow his uh, podcasts. He does them on a regular weekly basis. I think he's got maybe one or two weeks when he's on vacation that he doesn't do them. But he does uh, kind of give us updates on these trends. 
And uh, obviously, we've covered a lot of positive and negative scenarios. But what I'd like to do is get his views on uh, other aspects of where we're going and some key ones he'd like to add or emphasize because uh, despite all the good news on the technology front, obviously, uh, if our IRAs go away, then uh, our investments in those technologies and those <laughs> in those places goes away. Uh, uranium is one of the tips that he shared. Might be a few of the commodities that goes up. And otherwise, pause. Uh, let's take some time to not uh, go all out investing this may be a good time to uh, to slow that down a little bit. Now, from the additional information I got from today's discussion, I can expect we see more volatility, more than we've had in that first six years of the equity bull market. We get and before the show, he and I talked a little bit about uh, the complacency. People got used to, uh, you know, volatility being a one percent drop or a two percent drop, and then recovering again. Uh, that was, you know, typical volatility. You get kind of very adjusted to that, and then now when you see a 6% drop over a week, you start uh, getting a little bit panicky. Well, this could be more of the norm where we see that volatility. And uh, from our discussion, I would also see continued volatility at interest rates and the currency markets because uh, with all of these things, if, if the dollar keeps strengthening, then the U.S. economy starts getting impacted, as we talked about. So that tends to try to self-correct. So I would not be in the traditional hold and hope mode, and instead I'll be taking profits when when some of these markets rise, uh, and also buying quality equities or uh, broad market ETFs on significant dips, so that I've got a little bit of a, um, again, those technology stocks uh, may be a little bit early to invest in them. Uh, They should continue to well do well, but again, my focus will probably be more on the broad indices because I can't guess which of these are going to do well. I will stay out of bonds, but that's more because I found a, a, a I've got to decide how I'm going to invest this year. Do I start trimming my portfolio? Do I reemphasize certain things? Do I, you know, how do I do allocation? Compare that to the rest of the, the people. Because you and I as investors are saying these are top of our mind. But what's at the top of other people's minds? The people that aren't actively saving or actively investing, they've got a different focus at the beginning of the year. They're wondering to finally find a job. And that's why some of what we talked about is important. Some are wonder, wondering if they'll still be employed at the end of 2016. Obviously, some of those oil field workers are already starting to see it. The banks are starting to see it as we touched on while others are wondering how they'll be able to pay off the additional debt they incurred to buy gifts for the holidays. And I'll even reword that. I'll reword it to say, wondering how they'll be able to pay off the additional debt they incurred to buy the unnecessary gifts for the holidays. See, as regular listeners, you probably realize that uh, most of those families would prefer not to receive gifts than to see the givers struggle financially, see the stress negatively affecting their wealth and their health. Since the beginning of the new year, let me share my number one advice to those who know you know who are struggling financially and any of our listeners that happen to be struggling. Here it is. Resolve and be resolute about investing as much as possible in the absolutely best investment available known to mankind. It's an investment with a very high yield and absolutely no risk. 
Now, you're the typical investor. You're saying that sounds to be true. There's certainly all investors have some risks. So clearly, Ron, you're taking me down a path and taking some of these poor people down a path that doesn't exist. But I'm here to assure you that is such an investment. We've actually covered it on this show a couple times. What is that investment? To pay off all your high-interest credit card debt. The best, The next best course is to stop using those credit cards to buy anything that can't be paid off by the end of the billing cycle. In other words, get your budgets in order and don't buy what you don't need. And yes, paying off those credit cards may yield you 29%, and your risk is zero. You'll be better off by paying them off. And I don't mean minimum payments. I mean putting as much as you can to get them paid off and keeping them off. Now, the next best thing, of course, you can... uh, to help you put financial struggles behind you, tune into the Wealth DNA Radio Show every second and fourth Monday of the month. Regular listeners know that our objective is to share the fundamentals of investing, provide great ideas for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to help you and one million other people become millionaires. For those who feel it's impossible, start by following those two bits of advice I just shared. Clearly, we don't want any of our listeners to stop at just paying off high-interest debt. We want each of you to be among the group of millionaires. Listening to this show will also help you take advantage of the advice Malcolm X shared in the quote I shared earlier. Education is the passport to the future, for tomorrow belongs to those who prepare for it today. And maybe the way to prepare for this year is to uh, take a breath, relax. Don't assume the market's going to keep climbing. Make some preparations for some hedges and look for ways to buy later, not today. Now, if you missed part of today's show, and obviously we've had a little bit of technical difficulty, we're hoping to get HL back on. But uh, if you do want to go back and listen to it or recommend it to some friends, the link in the announcement will take you to the archive version. And, of course, you'll find the full list of past shows there, www.wealthdna.us. I'd like to thank our sponsor today, BI Solutions Corp., residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area, for helping us put together this show. They also help our investors find investments with high yields or minimal risk. Next Wealth DNA Radio Show will be the fourth Monday of January. That's January 25th, 9 a.m. Arizona, same place, same time. We'll be talking about entrepreneurship with James Beach. We'll ask him about one of the challenges he accepted to prove that anyone with an idea and determination can create a business opportunity. This is certainly one of the most fascinating challenges I've ever heard of. So be sure to join us. The full lineup of guests and topics is on WealthDNA.us, and you'll find the archive of past shows there too. Now, if you have some comments or questions about the show or others, or if you haven't received any emails uh, about the show, reminding you, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us or follow The Ronald, all one word, on Facebook or Twitter. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Apologize for the uh, technical difficulties. Obviously, the uh, line that we had HL uh, Quist coming in on was having difficulty. We heard a couple pauses and a few times he's dropped off. So my apologies. What I will try to do is get from him kind of those closing comments. What are some of the key things he'd like to emphasize or other things that he would want to add from our discussion that you know, you should know about. I'll share those at the beginning of the next show. And I'd also ask him about kind of the least dangerous asset classes to put our mon- money in 2016. I think one of them will probably be uranium. And uh, he, he mentioned one specific stock, but I'd like to get his direct answer on that question. What are some of the least risky asset classes he would put his money? Uh, I think the other piece is probably going to be the uh, 
the conservative, uh, if you will, high yield kinds of assets, uh, things like the the um, uh, utilities he talked about and, and high dividend paying stocks. So uh, again, we'd like to get his direct answer. So I'll try to get those answers and put them on the next show. So happy investing, taking advantage of the wonderful future that belongs to you. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 